Chicas! Live and underway here on ESPN. Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar, alongside you for episode 323. Herc, how was your weekend? Beautiful. Daddy-daughter getaway. I'm recharged. I'm refreshed. I'm ready for my next child here. I've got to deal with you now. Oh, I was about to say you're going for number three. Wow, that was, that was breaking news here on Football Americas. We know that's not the case. Um, but thank you for referring to me as your child. As always, it does make me feel quite a bit younger than you. We got a lot coming up here on Football Americas. Julian Laurent, moments away from joining us, we're going to talk about some of the biggest news in the soccer world. Mauricio Pedrosa going to join us as well to talk Liga and Mekis and the big news of Chicharito's spectacular return, plus inner Miami Herc taking an L in preseason. We'll discuss that as their worldwide tour continues. But let's start with the story that has been dominating our world for the last few weeks. That, of course, is Gio Reyna's ongoing transfer saga. Here's the latest. These are comments from Borussia Dortmund manager Eden Terzic that came after Dortmund's 3-1 win against Bochum on Sunday, where Reyna actually played the last half hour or so, many thinking that was going to be his last game at Dortmund. But the manager maybe sees it differently. Quote, I expect him to be available to me Friday. I haven't heard anything else. Gio is under contract. Gio is our player and did well when he came on today. Worth noting, the transfer window in Germany closes on Wednesday, so if he's still there on Friday, that is news. And this comes amid reports out of Germany that talks between Borussia Dortmund and both Nottingham Forest and Marseille are close to breaking down. For more on this, we welcome into the show our good friend and colleague, Julian Laurent. Jules, thanks for staying up late with us here on Football Americas. Let's get right to it. Uh, what's the latest here on Gio Reyna? And what's taking so long? I thought George Mendes was a super agent. Yeah, me too. Me too, Sebi. I mean, we'll go, we'll go back to why it's taking so long and why this is not done yet. Because we've said many times on all our shows on ESPN that this, this, this is that should have been done on January the 1st. It's pretty easy. But let's talk about the latest. You, we heard that Intezic, obviously, saying that he wants to stay. Dortmund want him to leave. Joe wants to leave this week, this month. The problem is, as we said, that it's taking a bit longer, I think, than everybody expected. Sevilla is still pushing hard to sign him. Marseille, I think, right now, maybe not in the favourite anymore. And then you still have Forrest, who obviously are very much tied up with George Mendes. And I don't know if it's on Joe's side and Claudio's side, where they just taking their time to decide. I think there might also be more negotiation between clubs, between Dortmund and all those three clubs that I mentioned, who for me right now are the favourite. If, if he was to leave Dortmund, it would be for one of those three clubs as of tonight. The problem is, it's still not done and time is running out now. And why is it taking so long? I don't know, does he get cold feet? Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of that. It's the fact that he's been coming on and did okay for the last two league games for Dortmund, even if it's still not much time, playing time, I mean, but he's still coming on. Maybe that is kind of making him think a little bit about his future. I don't know, but this deal should have been done on January the 1st. It's not good for him to stay. We all agree on that. I think he agrees on that too. And I still don't understand how on January 29th he's still a Borussia Dortmund player. What are the chances here, Jules, that no deal gets done? And where does that leave Gio at Dortmund? and a club that he wasn't playing in, and he's made it known that he wants to leave, and the club wants him to leave. Where does that leave Gio? Uh, today, someone said to me that for him, and he's quite involved in you know, who's trying to sign him, that it feels more and more like no deal will happen, so that he will mm. stay at Dortmund, which I think would be 
terrible for Joe, terrible for the US national team, of course, because they need him to play regularly and more and regain all the confidence and start putting on good numbers in terms of goals and assists and all of that. And, but if that was the case, I don't know. I think, in a way, he would be a, a super sub. Is that enough at his edge? No. We've said many times, we've showed the stats, he played less than 300 minutes. This season in the Bundesliga, he's got one star. This is, this is ter just terrible. He needs to go out and play somewhere and enjoy his football again. And at Dortmund, they have so many players in his positions. The competition is so hard. They just obviously signed Jadon Sancho not that long ago. That I'm just, I just don't think there's a future for him there. That's why I really don't understand and I can't work out why right now he's still a Dortmund player. But it feels more and more likely now, somehow, because we were convinced 10 days ago he would go. Even last week we reported on ESPN that this is it, it's getting closer now, we've got a bit of an agreement there and there, and yet six days later he's still a Borussia Dortmund player. So, I don't know, the next two days obviously will be key because as Sebi said, Wednesday is the deadline anyway. So we will know very, very soon, but I, I really don't think it's a good news if he stays. What's the perception of Gio in Europe? Because here in the States, we think of Gio, young, you know, prospect who tore it up in the Bundesliga when he first broke out into the scene as a 16-year-old. And I'm thinking 50 million euros, that's a steal for a player like Gio on a platform like Dortmund. What's going on here? Should U.S. fans be worried? What's the perception in Europe? What's the word around why this isn't happening? It's really interesting because you're right to point out how good he was when he was younger and, you know, I think at the time a lot of scouts and sporting directors for from top, top clubs in Europe were, were looking at him. He became an option, a bit like a Christian Pulisic when he went from Dortmund to Chelsea. That kind of move was very available to Joe, I think. And then the injuries, the fact that he lost confidence, I think what happened in Qatar didn't help him at all in terms of his reputation in a way and becoming a bit of a problem in a dressing room at times, which you know how it works in football. It's very easy. You get that reputation. People call, speak to each other, call each other. How is he? What is he like? What does he do? What do? And, then, and then suddenly people say, well, yeah, it's, that's not for us. Not now. Let's see if he matures. All, all those kind of things that we've heard for many other players. And right now I feel the clubs that are keen on him because they believe there's a talent there, if he gets injury-free, of course, at the level, at the, just the, the tier below the top, top European clubs. That's why we're talking about Marseille, Sevilla, you know, Forest, those kind of clubs. They're, they're good clubs and some of them, Marseille, Sevilla, played in Europe regularly, usually, that kind of stuff. But not, not anymore the likes of Chelsea and United, maybe, and PSG and even Bayern. You know, a player like Giovanna at Dortmund, Making do, doing really well there, he will become a Bayern Munich player. Some you know, this is the pathway in Germany anyway. If you do well in that league outside of Bayern, Bayern sign you. But right now, those clubs are not looking at him anymore for all those reasons, which in a way will take away a little bit of the pressure, I think, on, jo on Joe's shoulders. And yet, if he, if he goes to a, a, a middle tier club and smashes it again, then that opportunity will come again to go to a top club. But right now, those top clubs, I think the, the sheep has sailed a little bit for Joe Reyna. All right, I feel like we've uh, taken a pretty negative turn here. There is still time left in the transfer window. Uh, Jules, let's focus in on the three clubs that are being discussed, Nottingham Forest, uh, Marseille, and Sevilla. I wonder which of those three you think is the best fit, because I know Herc thinks that Gio's walking into the Nottingham Forest side. I happen to think Morgan Gibbs-White is a pretty good player, and if he doesn't move, 
that's that's tough competition for that number 10 role. I'm very interested in your perspective on Marseille because of the teams linked here, not only are they the only one that's not in a relegation fight, they're chasing Champions League and they're in Europa. And I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton of Marseille. I know you do. Yeah, I mean, for Forrest, I agree with you on Gilles White, although I think Joe can play wider. Uh, they can play with two tens behind, behind the striker as well. That's, that's possible. So there's a lot of things you can do with a fit inform Joe Reyna with his versatility. So, Forrest, I think would not be a bad move to go to England. The language, of course, would help compared to a different league and a different country, a different culture, all that kind of stuff. So I think Forrest would not be a bad idea. And clearly, since Nuno came to the club, they play a little bit more attacking football than under Cooper. So, Forrest, not a bad idea. Sevilla, I would not touch. I would not go <laughs> near. I think right now, if you like Kike Sanchez Flores, great. Good for you. I saw them at the weekend again, and even if they were maybe a bit unlucky, they're just very dysfunctional. They're about to lose Rakitic. And maybe, by the way, the Rakitic deal out of Sevilla could be key in Joe arriving because I think they need to sell first before signing anyone anyway. Um, so that could, be, that could be as well what's holding on a little bit that deal. And like you said, Sebi, let's not be too negative because there's still, there's still time. And deals can be very quick. You take a private jet, you, you go there, you pass your medical, you sign, this done in a few hours. So it's still very much possible that he moves. And Sevilla could well be waiting for Rakitic to go to Saudi Arabia to sign Joe as a, as a kind of a re replacement. Not position for position, but as another player coming in after Rakitic came out. For Marseille, he would work under, under Reno Gattuso, of course, who will be very demanding. And maybe that's a good thing, by the way for Joe because I think that could help him get to the next level in terms of what you ask, you are asked to do as a professional and that kind of manager who's on you all the time to make you improve and make you progress, that might be not a bad idea. They're, they're fighting obviously to finish top five, top three in France. There's some really good players there from you know, Aubameyang to Ismail Assad that we saw with AFCON with Senegal, Iliman Ndiaye as well was there with Senegal. So you've got, you've got a really good squad, I think, there. And I think he could flourish in Marseille. The thing I would say about Marseille, one is the environment around the club. The fans, yes. they live for the football. They live, they're, so they're so passionate that if you don't do well, you know, I know some guys who used to play there, they don't do well, they go to the bakery and they don't serve him. They say, no, you're not good enough. I'm not giving you pan au chocolat, baguette and croissant. I'm not saying that this will happen to you. I'm just saying it's a very difficult environment if you don't do well. Mm. And also, there's a lot of players in his position. Again, as a 10, there's Arit, wild players. We talked about Sa the Saar, NDI, Correa. Joaquin Correa is, is, a, is a Marseille player too, although he's injured right now. So there's a lot of competition. But really, if you aim for those clubs, competition will always be there. And that, that can't, that, you can't fear competition if you want to play in those clubs anyway. All right, uh, plenty of time left in terms of hours, not in terms of days. 48 hours left. We're hanging on to every single one in the transfer window to see if Gio Reyna gets a move. Let's move on to the story that rocked the soccer world on Saturday, and that's uh, Barcelona manager Xavi Hernandez announcing he'll be stepping down at the end of the season. This, of course, followed Barca's 5-3 defeat against Villarreal, which came three days after Barcelona were eliminated from the cup by Athletic Club. Now, hours after Xavi's announcement, former Mexican international Rafa Marquez, who's been linked with the Barcelona job and currently is in charge of the second team, was asked about the opening. Here's what he said. Yeah, 
obviamente intentaré estar disponible y, y tratar de, de hacer lo mejor posible. Okay, Jules, Barcelona, obviously a mess. Uh, what do we think of Rafa Marquez's candidacy for the job? Is it a legitimate one? Yeah, if it's legitimate, well, obviously the, the most famous manager to go from Barca B to the first team is Pep Guardiola, and he worked pretty well for everybody. <laughs> Rafa Marquez is not Pep yet, of course, but you can see what he's doing with the reserve team. You can see that he could be a candidate. Let's not forget that Barca don't have much money. So it'd be very easy to make that move. He's a former player, so I think the coolest would be happy to. And for him, it's a great opportunity, especially if you're kind of re-aiming the team towards youth and some of the players that he worked with. Instead of, you know, going and sign Lewandowski, kind of that, you work with Maguyu, you work with the youth that Fermin, Fermin Gavi, Pedri, all of that, Balde, Fort, whoever you want, but he would, he, you know, he would be good for that. However, the, 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 the more negative side of hearing him having that answer, and maybe he was just honest, and I've got nothing against honesty. However, pick your moment. Just read the room, Rafa. You're, mm. you're a clever guy. We know you're a clever guy. And I don't think this was the right time to go out like he did, and I don't think that went down well in Catalonia for sure. Xavi is still there, and yes, there will be a lot of rumours and a lot of managers are going to talk about potentially coming over, taking over, all of that. I understand that. But this was so fresh, so, so fresh, that I just don't think he helped himself by, by saying what he said. Herc, what do you think? Do you think Rafa Marquez crossed the line here? All right, so very quickly, uh, they've got no money, so the likes of a Thiago Mota, Bologna, uh, would be very difficult. Uh, the... The Serbia, Brighton would be difficult. Uh, Garcia Pimienta, La Palmas, uh, Michelle Girona. Those type of coaches would be difficult for Barcelona right now with the finances. They could get another loan and pretty much strip away the club if you want to. Um, that would be a reason for Rafa Marquez to be the next in line. Let me give you a reason for Rafa Marquez not being the next in line. What just happened? He's very green. The body is still warm. You don't have mm. to say anything. <laughs> Jules is right. Just for a second, all you have to say when they ask you is, I'm a Barca guy through and through and my response right now is to support the club and support Xavi at this moment that's all you gotta say that's it mm. whether you get in the future or not whether you're ready for it or not that's another question but this just proves why you're not ready for it Xavi was all sad you know he was a coach in Qatar that was his resume goes to Barcelona you can see why they're in the problems they're in right now Rafa Marquez is Barcelona athletic seventh place right now in the third tier green as well it's just unfortunate but it proves why Ultimately, he may not be the man for the job. If Rafa ever had a chance, it was Xavi leaving in the middle of the season. I think now that there's some time for Barcelona to figure it out, it's, it's highly unlikely that Rafa Marquez, uh, with his lack of a resume, frankly, gets this opportunity. Before we let you go, Jules, I got to ask you about Valerian Balogun. Uh, again, you are the expert here on French football. I'm not going to pretend that we watch Monaco week in, week out, but we can look at the stats. <laughs> no goals, no assists in his last five games, hasn't scored since November 24th, he didn't play over the weekend, had a shoulder injury in a 2-2 uh, draw for Monaco against Marseille. What's going on and what are they saying about him in France? Because it was a pretty hefty transfer fee, 40 million euros for the young American. Yeah, they still believe in him massively in Monaco. They like him a lot. The injury has slowed him down a little bit. And even before that, he had a few niggles there and there. Let's not forget as well that the pressure, not that Monaco have a huge fan base who are crazy about their club. But still, when you play for Reims, 
there's no really expectations. If you do well, it's great. If you don't do well, you, everybody expects you to fight to not go down anyway or to finish mid-table. With Monaco, it's different. You're there. At some point, we even saw them as maybe competing with PSG for the title. Now, they're just trying to stay in top three to qualify for the Champions League next season, or top four, potentially, to qualify for the Champions League next season. This is where they are. So from, from a flow point of view, you went from being like free, free mind, let's go, I'm enjoying my football, I'm 21 years old, I score a lot of goals, it's fun, I've got a team that plays for me, now you go to an environment where we need result here. It's, it's about result. You're 22 now. We saw what you could do last season. Now we expect you to do the same. Here's the pressure for you. Here are the expectations. It's not, it's not anymore of like, yeah, let's have fun. Let me do this. No, now we need your goals because we need to win, because we need to finish top three or top four. This is where we aim now. And I think he's going through the process of even him as a young pro, to be able to deal with, with all of that. If you look at the, the, the stats though, four goals, three assists in 11 starts in the league, it's not too bad. And also, let's not forget who is competing against to start in that team. Wissam Ben Yedder, who is Monaco's club captain, who is, uh, in terms of French pure finisher striker, one of the best that we've seen in the league, certainly even when he went to Spain at Sevilla, he had an amazing record. And how can I say that? I don't want, if Wissam Benyedder watches our show, which he might, I don't know, I don't want to upset him. But Wissam is not the kind of guy who would take a young player under his arm and then mm. let me teach you stuff. Let me show you here. You know, like what Urk would do, I, I would expect, at Wissam's age with a young Flo Balogun coming through. Wissam is not that kind of guy. So there's, there's that as well for Flo to, I think, process to. But he will get there. Monaco really have faith in him, they really believe in him. So it's just a matter of he will get that, I, I believe, that scoring goal streak can come in and after that he'll be fine. He's still young, but yeah, maybe the adaptation is a little bit longer than what we thought it would be when he signs. 40 million, 40 million. So he may get there, but he needs to get there quick because at a club like Monaco, it's on to the next. And you know this, Jules. And the situation for him, scoring 20-plus goals in a top-five league showed me a lot. But his response right now to this goal drought, not only for club, but for country as well, because it's very nice and enticing when you're being chased. But once you're there and they demand something of you and you don't do it, once you're on the ground, once you have fallen, how you get up for him will be vital. I'm worried about Balogun's stats of late, but to Jules' point, I'm more worried about Ben Yedder's stats of late. Eight goals in his last five. Uh, you're either playing with that guy, but you right now are not moving him out of that starting lineup uh, for Monaco. All right, there he is, Julian Laurent. Thanks for staying up late with us here on Football Americas. As always, great to have you. Thank you, guys. Check Thank out you, Jules boys. over on uh, ESPN FC television, as well as find his work on ESPN.com. All right, Herc, let's run it back here. Not in Serie B, where Gianluca Busio is on fire. No, producer Beto said, hashtag top flight only. So we start in Serie A, Christian Pulisic with a hockey assist as AC Milan drew 2-2 against Bologna. Yeah, eight points behind Inter. Inter with the game in hand, but one of the very bright spots, I should say, of Milan's season is Christian Pulisic. The American has been at the, at the helm, excuse me, for every dangerous play they've had. Got start, played 87 minutes at right wing. Milan right now third and said, yeah. In the French top flight, Emmanuel Savi with a penalty kick goal for a goal in his second straight league game as his Le Havre played to a 3-3 draw against Lorient. Savi had his uh, one cap back in January camp 
in 2023. In the Bundesliga, Kevin Paredes with a goal for Wolfsburg in a 1-1 draw against Cologne Hurt. Ah, look at that. DC represents. I know you're happy. Look at Paredes getting into the attack, crashing right there, cerrando la pinza, as they say in Spanish, closing that door right there, doing what he needs to do. Kevin Paredes slowly but surely earning his time and earning his respect. Second Bundesliga goal of the season for the DC United Academy and Bethesda Soccer Club, as we like to mention frequently on this show, product. Bundesliga on ESPN Plus shows the air to visit where Serginho Dest is lighting it up. He had an assist for PSV and a 2-0 win over Almere City. That's now three straight league games, Herc, with an assist for Serginho Dest. Listen, there are fewer players in the U.S. men's national team pool with the Ability to play right foot, left foot, multiple positions like Serginho Dest. PSV right now first place in the league, 12 points clear of Feyenoord. They're taking on Ajax, who have climbed up to fifth after a brutal start to the season. That game, Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern time here on ESPN+. Moving on to Inter-Miami, whose preseason world tour continues Monday with a visit to Al-Hilal of the Saudi Pro League. That's uh, Neymar's team for those of you keeping track, even though he's out with injury. The big four all starting for Inter-Miami, but they go behind in the 10th minute. Alexander Mitrovic making it 1-0 Al-Hilal. Yeah, Mitrovic right there with the good little interchange in play, good touch, and then look at this, making a meal of it here. Oh no, clear that. Three minutes later, Abdullah Al-Hamdan on the rebound makes it 2-0 Al-Hilal. 34th minute, Inter-Miami breaking through. Julian Gressel finds Luis Suarez, who taps home. No, 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 no. At first, they put the offside flag up, but help me, VAR. No, 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 Seb. What do you mean Julian Gressel finds? That's a defender that finds Luis Suarez. He's not offside. So 2-1 at that point. Al-Hilal had a third just before the half. The Brazilian, Michael. Yeah, Drake Callender's gonna want this one back. He goes chasing chickens there, finds nothing. I don't know what he was doing. Into an empty net goal. Into the second half, Inter Miami attacking. David Ruiz draws the penalty. Lionel Messi converts it, 3-2. Yeah, he was kind of nervous on this one, huh? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, Puts Lionel it Messi away. nervous from the spot. One minute later, Inter Miami, it's Ruiz again to make it 3-3. Three three. No, 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 no. That's that's, his, that's not uh, Luis Suarez, that's uh, Pablo! Pablo! Is it Pablo? No, that's Ruiz. No, I'm sorry, David, that's Ruiz. David. David Ruiz. The 19-year-old Honduran international there makes it 3-3. Al Hilal, though, get a game winner in the 88th. Malcolm to make it 4-3. Yeah, and you could see the Inter-Miami back line. They're pleading with each other. You cannot give up that goal. So Inter-Miami go down to Al Hilal. There's lots of talk, lots of comparisons between Major League Soccer and the Saudi Pro League, Herc, what do you think? Did Inter-Miami's defeat make MLS look bad here? All right, context matters, right? It matters. It matters the context here that Inter-Miami's in their preseason, the context that they're giving minutes to certain players trying to build up to the regular season. Context matters, blah, 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 blah. It does not matter here for the rest of the world. The rest of the world won't know that Inter-Miami are in their preseason, won't care that they're in their preseason even if they know. All they'll know is right now the talk is between the two leagues, Saudi Arabia versus Major League Soccer, Cristiano versus Messi, the, the Saudi Arabian stars versus the model that is Major League Soccer, and they're going to see a defeat. And I'll tell you what, 
I'll tell you what, this could have been bad. This could have been mm. very bad. Because at one point, at one point, it looked like it was going to be a scandalous scoreline. Inter-Miami does enough to come back within distance to make it respectable. But the rest of the world, all they're going to see is Inter-Miami goes down again. Inter-Miami goes down at the hands of Saudi Arabia. Look, I don't think this makes MLS or Inter-Miami look bad. Let's not forget, it was an MLS team that filled that stadium. Al-Hilal averages around 27,000. The stadium was full, not because Al-Hilal was playing, because Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi and all his buddies were there. So let's give some credit where it's due. I also think if there's anything, Herc, that makes a league look bad, it's not what happens in games like this. It's players abandoning the league after taking tens of millions of dollars to go there, like we've seen now with Jordan Henderson, and like it sounds like Karim Benzema is talking about doing. That's what makes a league look bad, not a 4-3 loss when one team is playing its third game of the preseason and the other don't, one's about to play in its move the AFC post. Champions League, all right? If there's something that did look bad here, Herc, it's Miami's defense, to your point about how things were going on early in the game. And remember what Sergio Busquets told us in Miami. That's the thing they got to figure out. That's what, they gotta fi- that's what they had to figure out last year. And that's the one thing that I thought would be their downfall and, and ended up being just Health was their downfall, but it was defensively, how can Inter-Miami maintain the likes of an LAFC? They come to LAFC, they prove that as long as they keep leaving teams like Inter-Miami on the road with a player like Leo Messi, things work out, but they have to be healthy. And you have to defend now. We know that teams are going to figure this team out. They're going to figure Inter-Miami out. They're going to figure Tata Martino out and, and maybe won't figure out to an extent Leo Messi, but do everything they can to limit how he impacts the game. Uh, defensively, if you're going to do anything in this league, is what you need to do first. Herc, since you mentioned health, uh, of course we know Facundo Farias tore his ACL. That's a long-term injury. We're also now getting word Benjamin Kramaski is out with a sports hernia injury. Sounds like he's not going to be available for selection for at least two to three months, Herc. That's a big loss for Inter-Miami, isn't it? Perhaps not as big as Farias, but significant. Well, I would argue Facundo Farias uh, is, a, is a massive loss, and Kramaski mm-hmm. is a loss as well because we spoke about the age of these players like a Messi, like a Suarez, like a Jordi Alba and Sergio Busquets, and who's supposed to run for these guys? The guys who just right now are out injured, Facundo Farias and Benjamin Kramaski. So it's a massive blow, especially in a salary cap league. It's not that easy to just go out and replace these players. There you have it. Uh, Inter-Miami, three games into their preseason. Still, Herc, shockingly, with this superstar team yet to win a game. But it's preseason. They got plenty of time, Tata Martino and company, to figure things out. All right, we got one more run it back here. Let's focus in on the Bundesliga. Talk about Canadian international Alfonso Davies, who got a goal his first of the season, actually, as Bayern Munich beat Augsburg 3-2 on Saturday. And he got it with the right foot. It's Alfonso Davies, who usually does his damage out in the wing, comes inside, puts it on the right, slots it home. Alfonso Davies, who spoke about the interest to Real Madrid, and I'm not saying he shung it away, but he also didn't say no. Davies and Bayern, two points back of Bayer Leverkusen, who are in first place. Bayern are out of the cup, but the competition continues here on ESPN Plus this week. On Tuesday, it's FC St. Pauli who are under the leadership of U.S.-born manager Fabian Hertzler, taking on Fortuna Dusseldorf. That's a quarterfinal of the German Cup, 2.45 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, here on ESPN+. Y todos te queremos dar la bienvenida a tu casa. Bienvenido. Esta es tu casa. Llevo todo el día con un nudo en la garganta. Porque regresar a casa como he regresado, 
y con todo su amor y todo su cariño, no tengo palabras para agradecerles. Absolute scenes in Guadalajara over the weekend as Javier Chicharito Hernández was reintroduced as a Chivas player. Joining us now, Mauricio Pedrosa, who himself is worthy of an Undertaker-esque introduction, I would say. <laughs> Mau, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Welcome back. Great to be back, amigos. Happy anniversary, I'm told, from yes. producer Beto. Are we celebrating? That's right. Ahora nunca. You've been a part of Ahora nunca as well? So, yes, very happy to celebrate five years five working years. every day alongside Herr yes. Gomez. Five wow. That deserves a celebration. Yes. Yes. I believe they call it hazard pay in the industry. <laughs> All right, let's get to this. Uh, I want people to know this was not my question, okay? This is not uh, Club América Seb trying to pick fun at Chivas. This is producer Beto's question, a Chivas mm -hmm. fan. Ah, okay. Will the presentation that we saw at Estadio Akron over the weekend, a full house, 45,000 plus for Javier Chicharito Hernández, will that, Mao, be the highlight of Chivas season? Yes, 100%. Number one, because it was an absolute amazing event. We are very critical of Chivas. We are very critical of Amaury Vergara. But one thing we know about Amaury Vergara is he's a great producer, right? He likes show business. He wanted to be a director, producer, film executive. Look, the event that they put together on Saturday at the stadium was just fantastic. Worth of a player with the history like Javier Hernandez. So the event itself was amazing. 10 out of 10. Now, if we compare that to the rest of what's coming up for Chivas, <laughs> that will be the highlight. So yes, the event was magnificent, but the the product on the field. It hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been great either. And I don't see any future perspective that leads me to be optimistic that this tenure under Fernando Gago, at least this first season, mm -hmm. will be that successful, will be that entertaining, will be that emotional as it was the event on Saturday for Chicharito. We don't even know when Chicharito will be actually on the field playing for Chivas. There we go. There's the context you need right there. When Chicharito will be healthy because reports indicate it will be week 10. A lot of football goes on before week 10. And right now, how many points do they have? They've got two points, mm. two draws. They've got two goals. But I tell you what they do have. They've got a system. They've got a style of play that I really like. I think these Chivas, this Chivas team under Fernando Gago plays well. You see what they did against one of the best teams over the past decade, a team that is so strong and formidable at home in Estadio Volcán. They played Tigres off the field. Yes, they ended up losing. Yes, I understand that. But they were the better team for long stretches out of that game. Right now, the one thing they need most are goals. I've got no doubt a healthy Javier Hernández, a healthy Chicharito will do that for Gago, will do that for Chivas. Now, this presentation, this presentation, the only reason we're talking about being the highlight of Chivas this season, because it was so spectacular. I agree with Mao. I might even got a May like to produce, but there's no footballer. There's no Mexican footballer on earth that's had a homecoming like this. 
than Chicharito Hernandez. What I saw, I didn't see from Hugo. What I saw, I didn't see from Rafa Marquez. What I saw, I didn't see from Andres Guardado, who people were debating about his career against Chicharito's career. There were 10 to 15,000 people there. It was 40,000 plus here. Maybe this is what we're talking about being the highlight of the season, but a healthy Chicharito with about eight plus weeks to go can still now, give you a lot to talk about. We're not that old to remember the homecoming for Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Oh. He was already retired, and America gave him a shot at yes, playing one plus year old Cuauhtémoc. That, that, that was a game. That was a game. Listen, listen. This and this. Hey, Seb, this might be the biggest highlight though. Cuauhtémoc Blanco, when he was 40, he had, he had a so gordito, a little mm -hmm. bit overweight. He was, he was 42. Maybe, maybe he has a better presentation on the field than Javier Hernandez at 35. Mm. 42, we'll he see. was my teammate at 40. We will <laughs> True see. Story. I tell you what, it's, uh, it's tough to get 40,000 people in a stadium with a game, right? In any yeah. place in the world, certainly in Liga Mekki. So for them to do that for Chicharito, it gives you an impact or an idea of the impact. I'm with you guys, though, man. Long term. Zero wins already, a 37-year-old manager with very little experience, period, but no Liga Mekis experience. There's not a, a lot of reasons maybe right now to bet on Chivas having a successful season. I, though I guess, Mal, that question comes down to what you determine as success. Yeah. What would we think of as success if they do get, let's say, Chicharito back in Jornada 10, which would be right around the first week of March? Uh, well, for this season, I have very, very low expectations, so I'm not going to go and say, hey, if they don't win the title, then this would not be a success. Uh, that, that, wouldn't, that would not be a smart thing for me to say. And I tend to say very, very few smart things in my life. But anyway, that's a different story. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this at midterm, one year. Mm. If it, for the rest of Chicharito's contracts, the duration of his contract, he has to deliver a championship. He has to deliver a title. He has to score goals consistently for Chivas for this to be a successful experiment because what Chivas is doing right now is basically saying to the rest of the league, listen, we cannot afford a top striker in his prime. We have to go and ask Chicharito coming back from knee surgery to be the best version of himself. We're paying him a lot of money. So in the long term, it has to be a title. And what concerns me the most is what Chicharito has been saying over and over again in the last 48 hours when asked this very same question. Apparently, he says, Chivas competes in a different league. He's trying to distract the attention from winning trophies because he mm. knows this is going to be tough. And he say, hey, we are, this is an only Mexican player team. We play at a different level. We, we, we're, we're competing on a different league that is not the same as America Tigres Rayados. That concerns me. But I insist, it has to be title or bust for this to be a successful experiment. M Mal's wrong. It's not that he can't afford a top striker in his prime. It's that Chivas can't attract a top striker mm. in its prime. That's the reality here. They are in a different league. Chicharito's right. They don't play with the same rules, and they're almost handcuffing themselves. So, I, but that's the case. Yeah. Same rules. But big expectations, that's always the case we know with Chivas fans. Uh, speaking of Chivas, let's talk about Cade Cowell, who mm -hmm. for the second straight game now uh, came off the bench and looked to play pretty well on Friday in a 1-1 draw against Cholos. Do you think from what we've seen so far, just two games, he's done enough to earn a job in the starting 11 for Chivas? Depending, playing as what? 
what's going to be his main left position wing. on the field. He's got to be left if wing, he's right? a left that's, wing, that's the easy spot to get into the wing, lineup. He has to be a starter. But he's been playing more the central area of Chivas' attack, and I don't like that. He, again, had chances to score and miss them. But whenever he was more involved in the build-up, he looked really good because he's fast, he's smart, he knows what to do with the ball. He's not afraid to go 1v1. So if he's going to do that, if that's the idea for Kate Cowell under Fernando Gago, absolutely he's going to be a starter. Whenever Chicharito is ready, whenever they give JJ Macias and Kate Cowell the chance of playing together, I believe he's going to have an impact. So far, I like what I see. It's not easy to adapt to a league like Liga MX, but I like what I see from Kate Cowell. Listen, he, he's done very, very well. I'm very surprised with how acclimated and how uh, familiar he is with his teammates. He comes on the field, he does something. There's a danger to coming on the field and doing something. You can get typecast as a super sub. I think that's what we're seeing here. Fernando Gago knows that a player as explosive as Cade Cal, as confident and electric as Cade Cal can be, comes with open space. Usually when you start, those spaces aren't there. For how he wants this team to play, Kate Cal coming off the bench seems to make sense. But you look who starts, it's Ayael Padilla. You look who's who's available. If it's not a Kate Cal, the, the pickings are very slim. For this reason, he's going to get his chance. Yeah. And they got a lot of games coming up. I think they got like six games in the next 18 yeah. days if you include CONCACAF Champions Cup. So just on rotation, you figure that he should be getting some some starts there. But I, I see I see the opportunity very clearly on the left wing. Pavel Perez, whatever you think of him as a player, he's a journeyman. That's a German, journeyman guy. I mean, Chivas spent, yeah, what, so five million on this player? No. You can't a, put Cade. More you, of a you midfield put, guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that spot is tailor-made for Cade Cow. If mm -hmm. he can't start over Pavel Perez, then that, that tells me something either bigger about Fernando Gago or perhaps Cade Cow. Let's move on away from Chivas, as uh, I would love oh. to do as a Club América fan. And let's talk some Rayados. Specifically, Brandon Vasquez, who's on fire since that big money move from FC Cincinnati to Monterrey. He scored twice over the weekend as Rayados won 3-1. Sorry, Mao, against your San Luis okay. on okay. Saturday. The first goal coming there in the 15th we'll minute. We'll in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a golazo. This is as good as goal, a goal of yeah. we'll ever see in any type of league around the world. And this exquisite touch with the left, good finish with the right. Uh, he's feeling right at home in that beautiful stadium. Three goals uh, in his last two games since joining Rayados. What does that mean for the uh, Liga Mekis Golden Boot? Well, right now, if you looked at the Golden Boot table, Brandon Vasquez would be, I think, in like a four-way tie for first. Uh, but here's a look at the mm -hmm. odds to finish as your Golden Boot. Right now, Brandon Vasquez, the second best odds at plus 500. How about a quick version of uh, Book It here, Mao, at plus 500. You liken Brandon Vasquez for Liga Mekis Golden Boot. 100%. Herc is my witness. When we presented our Liga MX preview on Ahora o Nunca, yeah. I had Brandon Vasquez as my Golden Boot winner for this season. I knew he was going to play a lot of minutes. He's now absolutely the starter for that team that now has even more, uh, more power with Gerardo Arteaga, another guy who's able to bring crosses from the left-hand side. Uh, listen, uh, great players don't need time to adapt. And he's a really, really good player. He has proven in this 
very few minutes, limited minutes that we have seen from him, but he has every single quality to be a top scorer in Liga MX. He's still obviously my candidate to win that golden boot. Uh, he's going to have a lot of help around him, a lot of pressure as well. Let's see how it goes when, whenever it's one or two games without scoring. Let's see how he reacts. Let's see how the manager, the team react to that. But I'm very, very confident that he's going to have a great season and he's going to be the top scorer for Liga MX. Yeah, my, my instinct tells me that usually a Golden Boot winner, uh, you're either on a ridiculous team where you're constantly going to be supplied with uh, these type of finishes, which he has a very good team, or you're on a team that very much depends on you scoring the goals. They're not going to depend on Brandon Vasquez to score the goals. There's a lot more people to share that load, and mm. being a goal scorer comes in waves. I, I'm going to take the field here. Uh, you brought up something very, very interesting, how he will respond when he's not scoring goals, how he respond with a fan base that right now is starving for big moments, starving for championships will be important. I think there's so many others to take the load on that same team, and if we're talking about other players, that field of goal scorers, I think it's just too crowded of a field for me to take a chance mm. on, on a, a guy like Brandon Vasquez right now. But he's exceeding anything I thought he would do thus far. Uh, but if you're going to tell me a team like Rayados is going to play crosses into the box constantly, I'm not buying it. What I do think is in Brandon Vasquez, Stan Ortiz has found his Henry Martin, who yep. was so mm -hmm. effective mm -hmm. for him at Club America. And that right there is going to keep Brandon Vasquez on the field. All right, I'll play a tiebreaker here. You know me, I'm a sucker for plus odds. So plus 500, yes, I'm going to hammer go. Brandon Vasquez yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so, so one thing I think we know about Brandon Vasquez, he's a pretty streaky player, right? If we go back to his best year, 2022 with FC Cincinnati. It wasn't a goal every week. It was a goal... Every other game. Maybe it was, maybe it was a four goals yeah. in like two games, and then there was a little bit of a dry spell. I think the Liga Mekis season is short enough. He can stay hot throughout it. Uh, who are the other guys on that list? Berterame, one, is, is kind of the player that's been moved further away from goal for Rayados to make mm -hmm. the space for Vasquez. So I don't oh, think he'll, he'll yeah. threaten as much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I love me some Club America, but they spread the goals around. Uh, I know I know Preciado has the record, but Santos right now, I mean, what do they got? Three goals in three games? That's some offensive juggernaut what, I'm supposed to really worry about. Got? And then you and then you have player then you have players on the other end like Julian Quinones who know they're gonna get their touches, you know they're gonna be involved in, in heavy plays. Mm. There's just a long list and Brandon Vasquez. Gignac is hurt. was not in that list, by the way. No, no, no he wasn't. Not top five. No. I was I was surprised. It was recently two seasons ago he was the top scorer. There's no Nico Ibanez there. I mean look look. He's a very good player. Brandon Vasquez is a very good player, yeah. and his skill set alone, yeah. the, the physical skill set that he has, is unmatched by a lot of players defensively in Liga Mekis, which will put him in a different stratosphere. But you may talk about how short this season is. That goes both ways. Mm -hmm. If you go cold, Tan Ortiz isn't going to think twice about getting the next guy in. And the next guy in happens to be Eric Aguirre or happens to be Berta Rame or Sergio Canales. There's just a lot more on that team to share that load. All right, we got to leave it there. Mauricio Pedrosa, thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas. Great to have you. Great to see you, amigos. Till next time. In case you missed it, Herc, Mexican international Gerardo Arteaga playing his last game with Genk in Belgium over the weekend. How did it go? Hey, he left with a red card in the 85th minute of a 1-1 draw. How about that? Yeah, put his hands on the opponent's throats. That's going to get you ejected. He's not happy. Every time. That's how he's going to leave Genk.
Yes, a uh, rather sad farewell, though uh, after the match, he did get a standing ovation from the away fans. It was a uh, away match for Gang Cartiaga, of course, on his way back to Liga MX and Rayado. Santiago Jimenez, oh, not again, Herc. Uh, he missed a penalty, which would have given Feyenoord the win in what ended up being a 0-0 draw against FC Twente. Yeah, I, I don't get it, but maybe have somebody else take it? I, I mean, we talk about Santi Jimenez missing more than he makes these penalty kicks. Maybe somebody else step up next time. Just one goal in his last seven games across all competitions for Santiago Jimenez. La Liga right here on ESPN Plus continues this week. Barcelona, you think they're missing Serginho Destino? Taking on Osasuna, 1 p.m. Eastern time Wednesday right here on Plus. Producer Beto, who loves his Barcelona, says, nah, bro, on uh, Serginho Dest. All right, let's move on. Time to continue our series of MLS preseason interviews. Remember, we spoke to a bunch of guys at MLS Media Bay Day back on January 10th in Miami. One of our favorite convos was with LA Galaxy center back Maya Yoshida, the former Japanese international who captained Japan, actually, at the last World Cup, is about to get set for his first full season of Major League Soccer. Maya Yoshida, center back for the LA Galaxy and actually the captain of the Japanese national team at the last World Cup with us now on Football Americas. Welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the decision to come to MLS because we haven't gotten to talk to you since you joined LA Galaxy kind of midway through last year. You had a illustrious career. You're coming after the World Cup. Why MLS? Why LA Galaxy? Uh, after timing my contract with Schalke in Germany, uh, I had a couple of offer in Europe or Emirates and Japan as well. But that kind of offer, I couldn't be too emotional. Then uh, waiting, but if I wait longer and longer, it's gonna be difficult, more difficult because I'm gonna miss my preseason mm. time, and I wanted to decide earlier. Then that time, somehow the galaxy offer me. Then my heart starts to. Pumping, boom, boom. <laughs> Why? Does the LA Galaxy have a certain kind of big name? The Galaxy, yes, the world? is very famous, in, especially in England. I have been long time because of Beckham, Steve Gerrard, Ashley Cole, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, after I've been probably more than 10 years in uh, Europe, I could have good experience so far. It was difficult to find a better place after that, after I'm 35 and uh, free transfer, uh, free agency, then um, I wanted to have uh, something new. I'm always, I'm the guy I always try to have something new, something to prefer to get experience. Then MRS is perfect for me, and especially Los Angeles, why not? Has Major League Soccer been what you expected in terms of quality, in terms of travel, in terms of atmosphere? Is it what you expected? Everybody say the traveling is the most uh, toughest things. Um, I would say yes, that's, that was really tough. <laughs> Especially like Los Angeles is very nice and traveling to Seattle is tough, it's really hard. And also the, the turf, yeah. 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 Also the, we fly to other side and time, time different. It's really hard, it's really hard. What about the quality, uh, the level of play? Was it what you expected um, when you watched or heard about the Galaxy and then you come and experience it? What was that like for you? Uh, <clears throat> probably because of uh, our performance last season, I was expected a little bit more. Uh, but to be honest, I can, we can improve a lot. We should improve a lot. But overall, in terms of the league, 
I think it's a good level. Not, of course, same as England, Germany, Serie A, but still very positive for me. But, you know, the, just, we can improve still a lot. And, uh, of course, always the biggest key is the DP player can make a difference. So always as a defender, I have to think about these players. They're going to make something different. So I was reading some of your comments from kind of the back half of last season as you're playing with the Galaxy, and I think you used the word embarrassing at one point to kind of describe the performances. What did you find in the LA Galaxy when you arrived midway through the season? What did you see last year? First cup games, I was really positive uh, because we are the second from bottom and we are expecting to go to playoff. And first couple games, after first couple games, I feel like, yeah, why not? We can, we still have chance then um, last three games after especially after we couldn't make the playoff already then uh, we we lost our concentration our passion and our the philosophy as well so last couple games is really shame to be honest but you know that's also difficult after we're missing playoff yeah so but again if we start well this season, then we have still enough chance to go, go through the playoff, minimum league, and uh, hopefully we can get more. The Los Angeles Galaxy are a historical team yeah. in Major League Soccer. Uh, team with the most wins, most championships. Um, it, it, it was a destination team for, for many years in Major League Soccer. A decade's gone by where they almost haven't been relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> does the LA Galaxy today have a roster to compete for a title in Major League Soccer? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, but we need to reorganize. We need to rebuild the team a lot. Not only on the pitch, off the pitch, like facility, especially now, last 10 years. The every, a lot of clubs, they're investing a lot. The facility, the stadium, the players, and uh, sports and nutrition, everything. The football is improving every day. And yes, Galaxy has the five stars, but last time we won, how long? 2014. Yeah, that's that's long time ago. Then it's the same. Every business, every sports, everything have to improve every day. Then we have to follow. We have to achieve. We have to overcome. That's uh, I think that's we are missing in this moment. But we have uh, like we got new players. We have to get new players and DP probably going to be the new again and then we have to rebuild we're going to rebuild from this preseason hopefully we can come back as soon as possible Maya you've played all over the world right uh, Holland England Italy Germany uh, none of those places have salary caps uh, that's something that we do have here in the United yeah. States with Major League Soccer when you first hear of a salary cap uh, what's your reaction to that why yeah. <laughs> if I can if I don't get the f- fine, I can say. Yeah. <laughs> you will pay your fine. <laughs> to be honest, the salary cap is probably was okay at the beginning, but mm, after yes. MLS became like have been thirty years, now the, most of the owners, most of the clubs are really settled, really doing well, managing well financially. So probably time to increase the salary cap or just take it off because. This is gonna be this become a really barrier for the improvement. And if it's gone, sorry, no salary cap. There's more competition between the players, and I'm sure that between the good competition, the player can improve. 
player can grow up. That's where I have been long time, and um, especially England. Every six months, the the transfer market open. It's going to be stress for us, but that stress, so we need to keep our intensity, keep our concentration. But because of the salary cap, it's okay. DP has different, but other players maybe less intensity, less concentration, less pressure. But I think this is a, we should get a new phrase, new step for especially now is the league investing a lot. The World Cup is coming, the Olympics is coming, and um, Club World Cup is also coming. That's, that's a great opportunity. I'm curious. That's, uh, that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. huh? of course. Hey, we agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, nobody's going to say otherwise. Nobody yeah. that's watching is going to say otherwise. I think everybody realizes that it maybe it was a necessity at first, yeah. but maybe it no longer is a necessity, or you can loosen the purse strings a bit and, and raise the salary cap. I'm curious. Uh, we look at the success of the Japanese national team right now mm -hmm. and how well they're doing. <clears throat> the player development in Japan, in your brief time in Major League Soccer, how can you compare the player development for the American to the Japanese player? Is there anything the American player can do domestically to raise their level? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I'm always thinking and also I'm working for the Players Association in Japan as well. Well, but if we see the transfer fee last summer, the New, new England goalkeeper yeah. moved to Chelsea Petrovich. for how much? 80 million or something? Oh, I don't think it was 80. Yeah. That, it's like 20, right? Yeah, something that's... Like that. Never happened in Japan still. Like, uh, top What's the biggest transfer in J-League history out? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably it's, like three or four million. Yeah, something so. like this. Not good enough, especially every season, every summer, because we are same like MLS, so different season mm. as a European. So half of the season, top scorer always go to the Europe. Then just get one, two million. That's, that's mm. not enough to get the replacement. So I think this is uh, the problem for J Japanese league. Mm. At the same time, we have a lot of players come to Europe and succeed, and uh, especially like Tomiyasu, Arsenal, Mitoma, Brighton, they are starting from small clubs, small competition, then getting experience and the step up to the bigger club. And, but for example, MLS, if they are really serious, they can get this kind of experience in domestic league, then go to England, especially, they have no language barrier, right. like English, English, so it's fine. Much easier than Japanese go to England and get adjust to the British English. So I think it's more possibility for MLS or American players. I have to say I'm fascinated by like the Japanese yeah. team. I mean, there's a, there's a technical ability that seemed to always be there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe this last World Cup, there was like a physical aggression that seemed mm -hmm. to be coupled with it, which was really fun to watch. I don't know, I felt like they were everybody's second favorite team in yeah. Qatar, right? Everybody Especially loved. in that group. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, you captained the team. You beat Spain, you beat Germany. Like, what was that like? Well, the technically we, we had, we knew that we had, but as a corrective work, we are very good to... The teamwork is the most uh, strength for us, probably. And the many players start to play in the higher level in the Premier League or Serie A, Bundesliga. Then they start to get physical ability as well. So the balance was really good that time. And also that was a new challenge we had. Normally we had the foreign managers. And mm. now this time we had the Japanese coach. Is that important? That works, to be honest. 
everybody had doubt before, maybe lack of the experience, lack of the the skills, but we are like building the team, not one way, the both way. Especially I got, I grabbed the, the opinion from the teammates, then talked to the coach a lot. But before like they demanding a lot, mm. then yes, of course, this is a European style. But we make it like Japanese style, just communicate a lot, then the building day by day, step by step, and finding the, the landing points, you know, that's, I think that's work a lot, yeah. Mayo Yoshida, man, thanks so much for the perspective. Great to have you on Football Americas, and good luck this season with the LA Galaxy. Thank you very much. Great insight from him about world football and uh, Major League Soccer as well. He's 35 years old, joined up with the LA Galaxy in August of last year, and there you can see the, uh, the impact that he did have. Herky talked about all the changes, all the updates that the LA Galaxy need to make to their roster to be competitive. Uh, how worried are you about this LA Galaxy rebuild? Which doesn't actually seem to be much of a rebuild. Yeah, they're very thin. Very thin. I'm w more worried about it defensively, especially since you see what they've done at the goalkeeper position, how thin they are there, and who the goalkeeper will be. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Bond, will it, will it be uh, McCarty? Will it, will it be uh, the, the third the league goalkeeper, the pool goalkeeper that they brought in last year at the end who played very well in League's Cup. Uh, the de defensive line, let's go talk about these center backs. Yoshida's 35. Martin Cáceres, who was injured last year, still injured right now, uh, back on the mend. He was trying to come back from injury, I should say. He's 35. Uh, Chris Mavinga, he's 32. Uh, Eric Savaleta, he's 31, 32, I believe. Jalen Neal, the, the young center back Kofo for the U.S. men's national team, was injured last year. He's injured again right now. He's not trained at all. Uh, then you can go the outside backs. It, it's just, and who protects this back line? Uh, I mean, Brugman, Gaston Brugman. He was injured last year. Marky Delgado, you know, Ricky Pooch. Like, what's it going to look like? I'm more worried defensively about this team and their ability to not leak and concede goals than I am about them going forward. Uh, listen, everybody's going to pay money to see them going forward, but defensively it's going to what's going to get your results and win you games. That's where I'm worried about this club. I'm not so worried that right now it's slim because it is yeah. slim i think it's very easy yeah but very easily in major league soccer things can change and they've been building up those dp spots that roster money so things can change you're going to spend offensively my worry is defensively what you have it's what's going to be there to protect you that's my worry I feel like there's been a lot of smoke and not enough fire with this Galaxy offseason. You know, they've been linked to guys. We saw the, the supposed transfer of Gabriel Peck. I, I don't see him on the LA Galaxy yeah. official roster yet. That was supposed to be a club record transfer. But um, I guess if that gets done, that would be major news for the Galaxy. Beyond that, um, I know they signed another Japanese center back. So there's something there in defense. But I think the biggest news that they've announced so far this preseason is they're going to stream the games out of Coachella. Like, that's the good news if you're a Galaxy fan. Well, and, and the other thing, Herc, is you're always comparing yourself to LAFC. Uh, Tom Boger just, just announcing that it looks like Eduardo Atuesta is on his way back. And on top of that, we hear of the Divacarigi uh, rumors. So LAFC is only getting stronger. And the Galaxy, at a time they need to be catching up, don't seem to be doing enough. I'll leave you with this, Seb. We asked him about the Galaxy and their possibilities of winning MLS Cup with what he's mm. seen right now. Did you see the deep breath from Yoshida? Did you see him collect his thoughts with a... Mm -hmm. It's a veteran. What veteran do I move. say here? What do I say? You mentioned them streaming games from Coachella. 
They should be praying that no game was streamed this weekend. <laughs> they played a Danish club who must be su- – this weekend in Southern Cal was one of the warmest days we've had in the last four or five months. This Danish club beat them mm-hmm. 50 or, well, how many degrees? What did you say, Bruce? 80, 80 plus 80 degrees. 80 degrees, wow. This Danish team beat them 5 to 1. 5 to 1 here in Los Angeles. They should be praying and thankful of no footage of that. Uh, Nordisland is uh, the team that uh, hung 5 there tight. on the Galaxy, who are again uh, in preseason mode. We'll give them a pass at least for a, a little bit longer as they continue to build their roster. Let's switch over to the women's game. One more run it back before we get out of here. Emily Fox, Herc, uh, who has, of course, made the move over to the WSL and Arsenal from the NWSL. She had a hockey assist. We're big on the hockey assist today on Football Americas as Arsenal beat Liverpool 2-0 on Sunday. No, no, no. What kind of play is this? I mean, she's going in between players. She's coming out dribbling. She's finding players in between the lines. The one thing I love about Emily Fox is her ability not to just stay wide, but come inside on the dribble and facilitate. She play makes from that right-hand side. Vivian Miedema there with her uh, first goal back after a long layoff. Arsenal and Fox three points back of Emma Hayes and her Chelsea squad. The NWSL regular season starts March 16th on ABC. Kansas City current against the Portland Thorns. Check that game out on ABC or, of course, ESPN Deportes. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Herc, what you rocking over there, Angel City? Angel City, that's right. Uh, until, until they send some more, this is the last time I ro- will rock Angel City for for the uh, foreseeable future. Yeah, that's the out-of-season stuff, right? That's the 2023 edition. we got to get you uh, 2024 gear. Yeah. Uh, speaking of out-of-date, of, out this is, I think, is like 1998 we established, right? A little uh, old-school like Spain jersey. Yeah, who's, whose it. number is on the back? Uh, I don't actually think it has a number. You tell me. It says just point, the old, just, just the old fan jersey. Oh. Just the old fan jersey. Did you see it was a, a schmedium there? All right, coming up on Thursday's edition of the show, we got a couple very interesting guests. I know we've been promising them for a while, but Marco Fabian, of course, a Mexican World Cup veteran, now playing in the MASL for Empire Strikers in the indoor game. So thrilled to chat with him. And then uh, Joey Batista, Joey Bats, ex-major leaguer, who is now a USL owner. That should be an interesting conversation as well. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks for watching. We'll see you right back here on Thursday for the next edition of Football Americas. Thank you.